and thank you for listening to Endo Unplugged. I'm Kendra, a fellow endo warrior. And I'm Heather, a fibroid and hysterectomy sister. This podcast is to bring awareness and to shine a light on what it's like to live with this chronic illness. We will share tips and tricks we've learned battling chronic pain. Everything mentioned is opinion-based as we are no professionals when it comes to medical or mental health, but just have firsthand experience. We will not be sugarcoating anything and we'll be keeping it real through the podcast. So please, if a title or description of the episode triggers you, please take care of yourself first. Okay, Endo Warriors, heat up those hot water bottles and pop in those earbuds and let's get started. People don't start thinking about mobility aids until they need one. So that's always my advice to people is like, I know that I'm going to be in one of those scooters sooner than I want to be. And like, that's, it just becomes more of a reality every time I go out for a walk and it's like, I can't walk farther and further every day. It's almost like a shorter distance every day. And, and it's you're like, trying so hard to make it longer every day. And it's yeah. Just not and you happen. just can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know Heather, you've been keeping, uh, going for walks now since your surgery you've been up for a few of them anyway I've been trying I honestly haven't gone yet again because I am back in pain so that's where I'm it's hard is because yeah I can't now I'm trying to associate what actual pain is pain and what's that but uh I got my patho from my surgery and they are saying I, they didn't see any endo lesions, but I'm prevailing as endo, but right now I'm a chronic inflammation. So I'm just like one of those in the middles that I don't actually have an endo diagnosis, but I feel and have all of your symptoms that you guys have. Which is fair. I know so many people who have had like re-ops too, and they didn't find the recurrence and they still have very much endo pain. Like this disease is so just weird (laughs) that like your symptoms are valid and your in-between diagnosis is valid. And like I said, I mean, one of the three lesions they removed from me was just fibrosis and inflammation, but they said it was old endo. So that's the other thing is that like your endo could be have transformed by now into more fibrosis or and this is for not just you but for like everyone or you know you're if you had like a wide excision I know that sometimes the pathologist doesn't look in the right place I've heard stories of that where they're like oh there's chronic inflammation and it looked like endo and then they pass it to another person to look at and the person finds the endo and so it's like you know if you have the symptoms and you're feeling it, like, I just, I hate when people wake up from a lap and they're like, I didn't have endo, but it was either a regular OBGYN or they found some stuff, but it wasn't endo. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. You're part of our community. You're here. You're, you're in chronic pain. We're going to give you a hot water bottle and a blanket anyway. Like that helps anyway. So there you go. Thank you. I actually needed that because Kendra keeps telling me that to not worry about the 
because I think that the hardest part for me is that when I first came in and got sick, I had some people that were like, no, you're not diagnosed, that like you have to get out of this community. And it really stopped me from reaching out because you don't know. And because I've already had a hysterectomy and I had fibroids that like I'm down a different path than everyone else. So it does seem different, but I know that I truly know that I have something, I have some sort of inflammation of some sort of kind, but I'd like some sort of diagnosis. And I think that's hard too, is that when you have an autoimmune disease, it's just all of them are clumped in together and there's no, like, what do you do from here? So I have chronic inflammation. Now what? They don't tell you those things. There's nothing. We need more research and everything. And like, even just the hysterectomy side, how is that affect a people? what is going to be my next 30 years having this hysterectomy? What is that going to do to my body? There's no research on those things either. If I take hormones, because one doctor told me I had to take hormones, one doctor's telling me you don't really need them. Like, so those are the other things too, is that we need research on all of those things as well as like the treatment side of getting a hysterectomy, what it looks like for everyone and just more research in general. I agree. And I think that when you look at it, uh, the studies, it's like 80% of chronic pain patients are women uh, or assigned female at birth. And then it's like 70% of studies um, on these things are done on people assigned male at birth. And so we are studying it in the wrong population. And I remember slight trigger warning for medical trauma people, but um, I'm not going to go deep or anything. Um, But I basically went to the doctor for pain and like my pain was keeping me up. This was in middle school, couldn't sleep. And the doctor was like, oh, well, how about you? And this is super illegal. I don't know why this doctor said this, but um, why don't you just take one of your mom's ambience and see how it helps? And yeah, no, this is super illegal. I don't know why this doctor did this and he should have his medical license revoked but so he was like have your mom give you one of her ambience and we'll see how that works and then we'll we'll give you a prescription well and I found out as an adult ambient you need a half dose as somebody assigned female at birth than males and my that had not come out yet in studies so my mom was taking like a full dose gave it to me I was like 12 I was allergic to ambient I'm really sensitive to sleep medication I was also allergic to Demerol in my first colonoscopy um, I woke up and, <laughs> um, so I woke up and I was in hives and I was hallucinating and I, I had like a really bad hallucination where like, I thought I was being stung by bees everywhere. And I kept like itching myself and my mom almost had to take me to the hospital. It was bad. Why would a doctor just be like, Hey, take Ambien. And now we know that women should have a half dose and that was a full dose. And it's like, we didn't do that research before we put these medicines out there because we don't study it and how it's going to do in different people with different types of hormones. Because like, how would it also affect somebody who's had a hysterectomy? How would it affect somebody who, you know, like we need to be studying how medicines affect all of these populations individually. And like with endo, we need to be, I think, studying my grandpa, my mom's dad has a lot of symptoms that are kind of endo related. Um, I personally think it's not far-fetched that he could have endo, but that we don't study endo in people assigned male at birth. Um, because I mean, they've found when you put people assigned male at birth on Lupron, their endo will start flaring. 
um, because they that's how they found some of the first cases of endo and cis males is they put them on chemo drugs um, for pancreatic cancer. So it was like actually for cancer, but um, they put them on these drugs and they find endo. And so it makes me very curious and like, I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to be studying endo in everyone who's assigned female at birth, people who've had hysterectomies, people who have had people who are assigned male at birth, trans people, and how the hormones for different transitions affect endo. Like all of that could be studied and we are just barely touching the surface. And I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe that would help us figure out how endo happens officially. Like there are some leading theories and there are some theories that are pretty debunked, but we don't have any official knowledge on that. And I'm like, mm. maybe if we studied all people, we might actually learn something like maybe, maybe we've learned something. Um, Cause yeah, I also don't think it's very far-fetched that he could have endo because he's in a family with people with endo, you know? But men also like aren't getting laparoscopies for their pelvis regularly, like. Mm -hmm. No, I, I like, I understand that because my kids had digestive issues since he was a baby. Like he, he's nine now and he still has digestive issues. And I, I'm scared to go down that road with him because it's mm -hmm. like, it could be endo related or it could be like some other inflammatory disease of the bowels or whatever where it could be like Crohn's or it could be something like that because that runs in my family as well so it's just it's it's really that's really interesting because that's something that's reoccurrent in my life right now is this kid is suffering from things that are very parallel to my symptoms and yeah. It's and just like a, you said, it could be something else, but it's yeah. just wild to think about. No, it definitely um, is. And I think they need to include a lot more people in a lot more studies. Um, yeah. And definitely this one, it's going to be a long time before we get there, unfortunately, just yeah. because we're, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of just understanding endometriosis. But I love your um, enthusiasm and your, and your, and your ambition because that's right. That's where we need to be. Um, it could be 20 years from now when we get there, but that's, it's, it's what needs to happen. I had somebody comment on an Instagram post that I put out that I put that. I don't know if it's the way that I worded it, but I, I didn't really include cis males in the key factors of endometriosis right? because it's not a risk factor known at this point at this point. Right. And if you put that out there, that information out there, there's gonna be so many men that have these kind of symptoms that are like, Oh my God, what's happening to my body. Right. And that's not what we want to put out there at all. So it right. is something that is definitely, uh, something that could be causing pain in cis males. Definitely. There is cases far down the road. We'll figure that out. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of other things that cause it and stuff. Um, and I also think that guys don't go to the doctor enough. Like if you're in pain and you're a guy listening to this, go to the doctor, please. Yeah. Right. Deserve pain relief. <laughs> Not interrelated at all, but you deserve pain relief. Um, right? No guys need to go to the doctor a lot. Yeah. A lot more. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that I'm really excited for research that's happening. Um, 
because like you said, we're at the tip of the iceberg, but we're starting to see like nine times the amount of studies happening per year and like large increases in studies. And I know that the Department of Defense increased their budget for Indo recently in America. So um, we have more research going towards it. And I know if you guys follow Indo Girls blog, um, they, one of their two running people of the Instagram, I was like trying to figure out how to say that. And then I was like, oh, um, but she is actually working with the Department of Defense on making sure that this money goes towards actual endo research and not endo in mice that is misplaced tissue and not really endo and things like that. She's gonna, she's making sure that all of this is going to the right kind of stuff. And so I'm really excited for what's to come. And it's because of people like you and people like her and people like me, like we're talking about this and we're talking about how much, how much further we have to go. I know that Dr. Fogelson, um, who is a doctor in America and he does a lot, he sends all of his lesions to a DNA processor and they record every single lesion and the DNA differences. And so we're, we're starting to create a database um, and we're starting to see that kind of research on like, let's see what these DNA patterns are and let's see mm. what's causing this. And so I'm really excited. And like you said, it could be none of these things could pan out. Like all of this could end up being dead ends and hopefully then it'll lead to even new paths of discovery. So none of that is to say that any of this will help Indo or find the cause or anything, but it's just very interesting to think about and exciting. And it really is all of us on Instagram speaking out and all of us um, in our daily lives speaking out and that's what's pushing us forward. So on, on that note, I really think that genomes need to be um, like DNA and, and the genetics and, and all that need to be studied because it is known to be a hereditary disease. And if we can find the DNA that is causing this in people's bodies, they can then create a cure that can target that DNA. And exactly. see, that's where, like, that's where we need this research. Like we need this money to be going to research. And, mm -hmm. um, I've been holding off on donating for a few years because I, I, I want to make sure that where I'm donating my money, I'm actually getting research done and not advertising, not, um, awareness because that. we're not, we're not, we're past that. We're past the, like, I know there needs to be awareness, but there's so we're many sharing. Yeah, we've, we've literally stood on the rooftops and shouted, we need help. And this is the time that the doctors need to step up and actually do that. So like, I'm really excited about a center coming to Ontario for endometriosis. That is really exciting. That's huge. Um, they, that's huge. They are doing a multi uh, team. So you'll have a GI team, you'll have a urinary team, okay. you'll have your um, respiratory team, you'll have all of those working together and they will be doing surgeries together. I know Heather, your surgery that you just had, you had quite a few doctors and people in the theater with you. Yeah, I did. Oh gosh. I think that there was about a dozen doctors. It felt like 
So yeah, and I actually had student doctors, which I was really proud of. So I had a lot of students in with me as well. And you know what, it has to be like that. So mine is my kidney that it's bothering. It's my ureter that had my mass on. So yeah, I have to deal with a lot of different doctors at the moment and it's hard. Like it's not just, a, it's not a gynecologist that needs to be dealing with this. It needs to be every doctor and it's a whole body disease. And pediatricians, because we talked about my story starting so young, like some of them could have been trauma symptoms um, because we did talk about like I have PTSD and I I did go through a lot of trauma as well, Kendra and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, like it could have been those things. But by the time I was 10, it definitely was endo related and a pediatrician should be able to see those signs. Um, and you're right. Like, it's just, it needs to be treated by every doctor and not looked at as a gynecological disease and the DNA. And I think that that kind of goes back to my biggest thing. A lot of these centers, um, not necessarily for endo, but like a lot of the hospitals that they work with, um, a lot of hospitals, this is my big tip for anyone with endo. A lot of hospitals are nonprofits or participate in charity care always check please if you are listening um in america it's if you're like three times the poverty limit so it's like 55k for a lot of these places i think it is um definitely double check but like you just look up your hospital and charity care or financial aid and they if you like most of us like 50 percent of americans make that much or less so if you're in america and you're in that lower 50 percent like get your care for free um, the Center for Endocare, for example, uh, the hospital they work with uh, does have charity care and you only have to pay 5K. Um, and that's still a lot, but you only have to pay that versus people getting bills for $100,000 mm-hmm. um, from them. And so that's a very different bill. It's still a lot of money and will still take fundraising for a lot of people to have access, but it makes it accessible for a lot of people. And so not just for a center for endocare, but for any hospital you go to, always check, please, anyone who's listening, because I don't want people to not get care simply because they can't afford it. My first laparoscopy, like I said, it wasn't perfect, but it was free. I paid $100 for an entire laparoscopy. Mm -hmm. So please look into that. I, I seriously, I want everyone to have access to at least, even not endocare, like that's for like anything, GI care, anything. If you're going to a hospital, check, please. Yeah, see, it worries me um, in the States, p- people uh, that don't have that information, don't know that you can access charity help or um, income assistance when it comes to medical care, because there's a lot of people who live in um, the poverty line or below the poverty line that deals with health problems and they don't know where to go or they don't know how to do it because they don't have the funds. And I know there are people out there who are dealing with chronic pain who either are homeless or don't have um, the needs that they need every day to deal with this. And I just know that like compassionate out there and it does make it worse. Stress, stress makes endo flare up. I don't, so yeah and and being having endo makes holding a job down harder and it makes it more likely like these health issues do make it more likely that you will end up in poverty or in homelessness and so it's not anyone's fault honestly almost always it's something like that because like 
a lot of things are illnesses that we don't recognize as illnesses. Um, and so it's like a lot of these people could be struggling. You're right. And it's just like, if you, if, basically anybody who's listening to this if you are talking to somebody who just doesn't have financial like accessibility definitely tell them to look into the hospitals in their area because mm -hmm. um like i said it really changed it like changed everything for me and got me my diagnosis i wouldn't have been able to afford getting a diagnosis if i hadn't had charity care so um and then like same for pelvic floor pt maybe like at certain hospitals like you might not, it might not be the first one you look up and it might not be the closest one or something. And it might be so hard to access, but like definitely look into all the ones in your area. I, yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that. Like a lot of people. And, and like yeah. I said, it's 50%, 50% of Americans qualify for charity care at most hospitals. So, and like, we're talking about like with, with the virus and things, a lot of people are leaving the hospital with massive medical bills. Charity care, it's retroactive. That's a good tip out there. Yeah. Thanks, Maggie. Yeah. Um, let's move on to like uh, our other topics we wanted to get to today. Um, we'll be quick here. Yeah. We'll be, um, just kind of like, I just want to know why you turned to poetry to bring out your, what was in your head to on paper. Um, yeah. And how it then led to you learning how to live with this and accept it um further on as you were writing so take yeah. away. so I I started writing before I can remember um my I just actually shared something my dad I won a poet laureate contest six years ago and he wrote in it and he was like in his post about it and he was like you know if they've been writing since before they could hold a pencil and so I I remember doing like a lot of um, current events. I went to a Montessori school and so I kind of got to choose what I did every day and I very much gravitated towards English the whole time. And so I think that was really what pushed me towards writing. Um, when I was going into ninth grade, I think I went to a writing camp in New York and I was writing a lot of short stories and essays back then and I fell in love with poetry in New York. I realized how much emotion you can capture in such a short burst and it just felt very accessible. It felt very passionate and beautiful. And I got, I got really hooked. And it was a way for me to talk about things I felt like I couldn't talk about. Um, I talked a lot, like a lot of my poetry back then was about abuse. And um, it's about things I didn't know how to just sit down and have a conversation with somebody about. Like, I really couldn't figure that part out. And so it was like putting into words all these things I couldn't say to other people. Like my dad always says that I know how to be vulnerable in a poem, but not anywhere else. Um, and, and I kind of think he's right often um, that I, I am much more vulnerable in my poetry. And that's kind of why I started writing about my body, my physical pain. I was having all this pain and I didn't know how to describe it. And somebody was like, you know, use words like stabbing, shooting, sharp, fiery, like use these descriptions. And I was like, oh my gosh, descriptions. I'm just gonna write some poems. And so I started like in the middle of a flare up writing what I was feeling. And it turned into poetry really quickly. And I was realizing that I felt so much better coming out of flares, having something to 
to thank for it, you know, like having something tangible to bring out of these places and to be thankful for the pain in some way. It doesn't mean that I'm like happy and accepting that I'm in pain. No, I don't like it, but (laughs) it gives me something to get out of it. And I think that that was really big for my mental health through this past like year or so that I've been really flaring. Um, It was really important for my mental health to be able to like talk about what I was going through, but not feel like I was telling everyone every second of the day what was happening. I could really just like put it in one place and be like, this is how I feel. And um, yeah, I think it helped me talk to doctors. I actually was able to give my book to several, um, my PT, to my GP, and like my general practitioner now, my regular doctor, when we were talking about my thoracic endo potentially, she was like, yeah, I'm not going to send you for a CT scan yet because we couldn't even see it on those. Right. And she like had all these facts about endo that she knew. And she was like, so I think that you do have it, but we're not going to do this until you talk to this doctor. Like she knew. And it was after I gave her my book. And so it felt very empowering at that point that it was like, I've been able to help my doctor who might help another patient. And I got something out of this. I got to be able to describe my pain to other people. That That's huge. Cause I know when I learned, like, um, I'm sure, I, I don't know if this is the same place that you learned it, but uh, I listened to a, a, of 16 years with endo. Yes. And <laughs> I figured it was Amy. Um, Amy and Brittany really taught me how to, uh, describe my pain and after I um listened to that episode I think it's I can't remember what the episode's called but I think it's their but second it was on si- in 16 years <laughs> yeah it's their second I think it's their second episode but it's uh it's all about how how to put our pain into words and that is how important it is when you are talking to somebody who doesn't understand this lifestyle doesn't understand that the pain that we're going through but if you can relate it to something that maybe they do understand, like stabbing your toe or mm-hmm. like um, stepping on a glass or like something, you know, like, yeah, um, it really then connects it to the reader. I know when I read your poetry, um, when I bleed, um, that's that's when, where I noticed like I could really relate because I the feeling of the twisting, the feeling of the, of, of all the, like the, this, the different description words that you use, like the stabbing, acid, the acid burning, the, like all of that kind of stuff, like really puts an image in your head. And yeah, I was very thankful for that too. That, that um, it's hard and it's hard to go to a doctor and explain pain when you don't know where to start. And I think that's a good starting place is really using descriptive words when it comes to that and something that they would relate to. Um, I know male doctors are very compassionate, but they can't exactly relate to, to the amount of pain or to why the pain's happening or all those kind of things, especially when like I go through pain from ovulation to like the end of my cycle. So yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It's just like, you know, when that's happening. So I get really, really sick with ovulation and people didn't like, nobody understood that. I didn't understand that until like lately, but that was what stalled my diagnosis for so many years is because I didn't have symptoms when I was actually bleeding, but that doesn't mean that I didn't have symptoms during my cycle. Yeah. And 
I think that being able to describe what different pains I was in different stages really made my doctor understand, okay, this is the full picture and this is what's going on. So that's huge. I love that you gave your book to the people in your support circle because for them to be, for you to sit there for the 15 minutes and explain your pain and what you go through in a daily, you don't want to do that. You don't want to waste your appointment on that. So mm-hmm. to be able to like give them the material and the, then them, then reading it and reciting it or back to you like yeah doing the homework like that's huge and I yeah I think that's really cool and everybody deserves a doctor willing to do some homework by the way like uh, I know that in some cases like it's hard with um universal health care and stuff to switch doctors but trust me you deserve a doctor that I mean I'm not asking a doctor to spend like five hours after work reading like they've got a life but you, you got to do your homework for your patients. <laughs> so you deserve a doctor I, that can. I go into every doctor's appointment with a new doctor as an interview. I interview them. Yeah. And if they don't pass that interview, then I don't, I, I move on. Yeah. Because there's, we've talked about this on the podcast before, that there is a lot of red flags that can then, um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. You're good. Escalate <laughs> the situation. There like the doctors keeps you. getting worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's really cool. Um, so I know you've given a lot of advice um, throughout this, this uh, podcast, but I was just wondering if you had for like newly diagnosed, like literally yesterday they woke up from their surgery and have no idea what to do next. What is your advice for them? be gentle with yourself. Um, it's really easy to get overwhelmed because I mean, I had a ton of advice in this episode, for example, and it's really easy to get overwhelmed by like all of the different advice and some of it being conflicting. Um, but just take your time. Like it, you've been through a lot. You've been going through a lot. If you have a diagnosis, usually you've had to fight to get there and fight your body to get there. Um, So just keep being gentle with yourself and take each day by day, you know, just, you know, tomorrow, maybe you can try something new, Um, but don't push yourself and rush yourself. Um, I know like some people are like, oh, like get all the plastic out of your house and all of the, these makeup products and this, that, and the other out of your house. And it's like, you don't need to do all that overnight if you choose to do that at all. Um, but it doesn't need to be overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day. Your body wasn't built in a day. It took nine months to build um, and years and years to get here. So you're not going to undo 10, 20, 30 years of pain in one night or in one surgery. Mm. So just keep being gentle with yourself. Also pelvic floor physical therapy. I think everybody needs pelvic floor physical therapy if you can access it even like two appointments like <laughs> changed my life so if you well um we actually have a public floor physio coming on the show um oh. so that's really exciting but uh sh- she's my personal physiotherapist and if you find somebody who is willing to educate you while they do it and you only need a few appointments and you can just go for maintenance after that because you they give you the homework Um, it's a very taboo thing in this community, pelvic floor therapy. I understand that, uh, people go to it and they say it doesn't work. 
It's something that- it could hurt worse if you still got endo when she presses on my ligaments that are especially tender, it would hurt more, totally. Oh yeah. Um, But even if like, if if you're scared to go in because of internal work or any of that kind of stuff, know that they can do so much without doing that. And your first appointment is not going to be that anyway. (laughs) Um, They like to look at your posture, the way that you stand, that kind of stuff before they do anything. So give it a try. Even if it didn't work the first time, maybe find somebody else. Maybe that person's not somebody that you jive with. And um, if you find the right person, I learned that dogs wagging their tails actually using their pelvic floor muscles. And I didn't know that. And I thought that was really cool. I was like, wow, my dog has a really strong pelvic floor because he's always wagging his tail. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That makes me think of, I was thinking about this earlier and I forgot to say it, but like, we were talking about like guys might have endo and stuff like that. Um, dogs have been found to have endo right and so like there's been endo found in dogs and I wonder I've always I've had nine cats by the way like since I adopted my first as an adult um and I I rehome a lot like I I adopt kittens that are friends that are being like I gotta get rid of these kittens and then I rehome them and stuff um I have three of my own though so I've had all these cats and I have one that is very anxious, who was very loud before she got her uterus out. And she still kind of sometimes makes those noises. And I'm like, does my cat have endo? Like, I, I, I probably sound crazy, but I'm like, I've had 10 cats almost. So in theory, one of them could have had endo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's, that's, I mean, everything's possible. I mean, like, we it don't makes know. you think it really it does. does. It does. It definitely does. I guess. Um, sorry, Heather, I kind of took over there. Do you want to say anything? I just have one last question for you. Cause I feel like it's along those lines, but if you could give your past self any advice, what would you tell her? Ooh, I would tell my past self. <laughs> Ooh, this is hard. Um, Honestly, this is more of an emotional one, but like, hey, let's go there. Um, Don't hate yourself and forgive yourself for the mistakes you make while you're surviving. Um, I think that's a really important one. Um, And and even if I I don't even like to say mistakes because that sounds judgmental even. Like a lot of it's not even mistakes. It's just learning Um, and it's just life. So be... I would tell myself to like be very gentle as I learn and to be very gentle with the mistakes I made. Um, And, you know, that that can be anything from personal life and being a really bad partner or friend or, you know, snapping a lot more and having an attitude like chronic pain does change you. That doesn't mean to not work on those things and to not try every day to be more emotion regulated and all of those things, but um, be gentle with yourself because it's really hard to survive. Um, And especially when you're young, like if you're looking back on your high school years and you're like, man, what was I doing? Um, Me, I, I, I look back on that all the time as well, Kendra. So don't worry. If you look back on yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, how, what? You were surviving. You know, that doesn't mean not take accountability, not work on yourself, but you were surviving and that's really hard. Um, when you were talking about how you uh, struggled with sleeping when you were in high school, um, I actually became very addicted to NyQuil. Um, yeah. 
So that's a huge mistake in my life that I constantly go back to is my crutches when I was in pain were NyQuil and were alcohol. And um, if you're in that place where you really don't, like you don't know how to deal with pain and you're, you're turning to those kind of things, know that like people are out there listening and know that you, you're validated for that. Like, like that's not a way, like that's not a healthy crutch, but you need to turn that, that bad crutch into a healthy one. And, and we'll be um, here for you and not judge you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there's no judgment in this. Yeah. Because um, I've been there. I, I, it took a long time for me to just slowly get out of that NyQuil addiction where it was just like having sleep without something. And then I turned to alcohol and it was just kind of more of a numbing and that lasted for so many years. And I actually had to end up getting help for that in the end. And there are um, a lot of us out there that have been there exactly there. And so, yeah. Now I, I hardly drink <laughs> because, um, well, it doesn't help my endometriosis. So, um, but every once in a while people are allowed to let loose and I, I do have a drink that those kind of nights, but other than that, um, just, yeah, have compassion for yourself, like for your past lessons that you learned definitely. Um, cause I know I've learned a lot of lessons and I've grown from it. Um, my sister always tells me that it's night and day from the way that I used to be. So it's always nice to have that validation from the people that support you. And like, it's, it's not, it's not an, like a, a, second change like this is gonna it takes it's taken me three years of working on myself constantly to get where I'm at so it's not something that happens overnight and it might take five years it might take 10 years for you to get to where you are but know that um you work at it and you'll be able to grow into this person that you have wanted to be your whole life yeah that's amazing. The biggest thing, yeah, is exactly keep going because you're not going to get to a better place if you don't keep going. So you just got to keep going. Um, and it's really hard. It's really hard when you have Indo to keep going some days. So uh, I'm here. If anybody's listening and having a bad day, you can shoot me a message on Instagram or something because it's, it's hard to get through those bad days, but you're doing it. Yeah. And it's, and people who, if you want to like share your, be real and share your realness on Instagram, like don't be scared to be a little negative. Sometimes like, if you look through my grid, I have some negative posts and I think being real and showing the good and the bad, even if the bad lasts 10 days straight, or if it lasts one day and you're like, don't be scared to really show people how it really is because that's the only way we're going to get the understanding that we need mm-hmm. in this community. Um, yeah. I want to really quick, sorry. No, go ahead. A really quick, I want to say that I had given when I bleed to somebody to review to a book reviewer and um, he ended up not reviewing it, uh, but it was a guy and I, I had liked some of his reviews before, but he emailed me and he's like, I can't review this. Um, I started reading it and it's really good, but it's just too sad. And it was when I bleed, it was just too dark. Mm-hmm. And, and I responded and I was like, you know, unfortunately this, that's the reality of endometriosis. There's, there's not a lot of good. And, and I did try and thread the good in there here and there where 
the community supports me or this, that, or the other. There are good moments, but like majority of Indo is really dark. And I think that it makes people sometimes uncomfortable to see or hear or face, but know that those people aren't your audience then and they're not your support system. Um, the people who are gonna listen and gonna be like, whoa, you're going through a lot. You know, I'm here for you. Those are the people you want around. Um, not the people who are like, this is a little too sad for me. It's it's your life. It's not too sad. It's reality. Mm. And I'm proud of you. And other people will really see it and feel seen by it. So like, just cause it's not one person's cup of tea doesn't mean it's gonna be no one's cup of tea. That's so true. Like be your authentic self. Somebody out there is going to love you for you. Yeah. So um, Maggie, before we let you go, I really, really, really want you to share um, one of your favorite pieces with us. Yeah. I wanted to leave it on a slightly inspiring note. I am saying that there's a lot of darkness, but there's a little inspiring. So here, we'll try that. <laughs> this is from When I Bleed, um, which poems about endometriosis. I lie atop a mountain of shards. Each bit of pain tries to dig in its fangs, cause me to crumble into a puddle of despair. One day I will taste fresh air pass between these lips. Someday I will be able to stand again. The bathroom linoleum cradles my hot skin. This will pass, I whisper to myself. It always does. When it finally dissipates, I know I will stand, straighten my shirt, try to pretend I still remember my name or the date. I will rise back up soon enough. This body has been through far worse and far better. This body has gotten me here. This body has walked on glass splinters for years and I am still here. I've got chills. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you. It's just so relatable because like I said, the shards of glass, um, I feel like that's what we are walking on daily is we are tiptoeing around it until we finally step on it. And that was just so inspiring. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you both for all you do and for having me and talking with me. Like this was so much fun. Um, we're going to say goodbye on the podcast, but if you want to stick around, um, we can have a little chat afterwards, but we have, I have some questions for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Heather, do you want to send us off? Yes. Thank you, May, so much for joining us. And we really appreciate it. I hope that everyone has a pain-free day with tons of spoons left.